The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not work. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and uh, you'll see two videos at the top of the page there. The one on the left is Bradley's show from yesterday. You can catch that up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. So uh, come back at 3 and uh, you can hear Bradley. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a poet, don't know it, but my feet show it because they're Longfellas. I said that yesterday, sorry. <laughs> I didn't even try to make that up. Anyway, right side of the page is um, where we're streaming live. So uh, if you're you know, listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you want to watch 
this show, hit hit the play button right there, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and rumble icon to be on the bottom right if you want to join us in the chat. Love to have you over there. By the way, uh, Scott contacted me, and for whatever reason, you know, computers do weird stuff. Uh, they can be great tools, and they can be just, I don't know, little gremlins. Um, <clears throat> for you guys listening on Red State Talk Radio, it's been dead air, is what he told me. Uh, somehow, something in the system that broadcasts got changed to something it wasn't supposed to, and I didn't change it, and nobody else has changed it, so I, d- I don't know how it got changed, but it got changed. So hopefully you guys are hearing this morning on Red State Talk Radio my apologies. I, I just didn't know it wasn't happening. So um, thank you for continuing to tune in. He said, there's still listeners popping in, but they're listening to dead air. That's not good. So uh, we're, we, we did what we could. I checked and made sure it's connecting. I made sure that you know all the stuff's there. Anyway, if you want to sign up for our email newsletter, that's right up on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can also uh, help us if you agree with our message. There's a donate button at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty and we really do appreciate you guys i i can't tell you how much we do we, we really do um our family is very grateful uh for all of you who support the sons of liberty and keep us out there doing what we're doing uh so thank you very much all right i got two quick videos i'm going to play and then we're going to get into a, a, a talk here i'm mainly going to focus on the issue of what does the bible say about israel I, i'm going to touch a little bit on a false church uh, because I think they kind of go hand in hand, um, and probably maybe one day next week. We'll, we'll see. I'm going to tap in on the issue of Roman Catholicism. Um, you know, we were doing some shows with Johnny and um, Johnny Cerucci, and I stand by those shows. So, I, you know, I don't hate Johnny. Um, actually, I like a lot of his information. I really do. And um, at least to me, uh, the kindness that was there... I, very much appreciate that, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pick up some of those things. And for me to try to go back 25 or 30 years, and even the stuff that I learned then, um, but with all that goes on, it's a little difficult. So be in prayer that that God will give me that time to, you know, give you some some information on that because I think it's very important. I it's not that I don't think it is important. I I do think it's important. But more than that, I want to focus on what the truth of the matter is rather than what the falsehoods are. Um, but to, do, to, to get the show started this morning, this is uh, Gretchen Witchmer uh, out of Michigan. And, um, I, you know, I tell you, <laughs> one guy, he was given a contributor. Uh, he was a contributor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com yesterday. He called it a red r- ripple uh, yesterday. Now... You know, I just, again, I go back and it's like the people don't fully understand, I think, what should be going on. They go in thinking, I'm going to vote, I'm giving my voice, and I played the videos for you, was it yesterday, of the machines breaking, paper being out, uh, machines not working, people having to go somewhere else. People don't have all day to run around go to go voting. People have families to take care of. They have work that needs to be done. And it's just, oh my goodness. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you're going to have to learn your civic duty. That's what I'm going to say. Because you and I are the answer. 
I've said it before, I'll say it again. D.C. is worthless. It needs to be abolished, dissolved, removed. And if, if the states won't get to do that, then they need to secede. There's, I, yeah. That's, that's the real answer here. Get rid of the beast. Rip its teeth out. Rip its heart out. And you are its teeth, and you are its heart. Believe it or not, you are. And uh, that's what you're going to have to do. Tactical Civics is a great place to learn your... Uh, tacticalcivics.com is a great place to learn your civic duties. Whether there's secession, whether their plan works and is implemented and can bring these rascals to justice, either way, you still need to learn those civic duties. And I'll tell you what, tacticalcivics.com is a great way to learn it. Um, several free books when you when you link up with that. You got a network of people across the fifty states, and um, yeah, it'll it'll be a big benefit to you. It really will. By the way, I'm not paid to say that. I don't make any money from it. I just I believe in what's being done. I've watched David grow that organization and develop it over more than a decade, and he was doing it before I met him. Um, <clears throat> so here's here's Gretchen Witchmer. She was asked about her disastrous COVID handling, and uh, all of a sudden. She's just fine up until this point, and then all of a sudden, she can't figure out what's being said. Governor, when it comes to your handling of the pandemic, we all know the critics over the past few years. Do you have any regrets? Mm, and is there sorry, any... I... Oh, shit. <laughs> Go ahead, Governor. Can you hear me okay? No, my you broom me, is stuck in my ear. Did I do that when I touched the ear thing? It was starting to fall out. Oh, no. It's okay. Uh, Governor, can you hear me? Governor Whitmer? She sits All there right, like a uh, doofus. We'll, we'll check back in with the governor maybe a little bit later on this morning. But uh, yeah, it seems like she's having some audio problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. audio problems. When the tough questions come, audio problems. Yeah, that's the way it always works, right? It's like when people come out and they speak the truth, there's an audio, a video problem, right? <laughs> uh, you'll like this guy. General Keith Kellogg. The U.S. government is spending $2.5 million an hour of your money in Ukraine. Take a listen. Yeah, Neil, thanks for having me. Look, I think there's a valid concern there, and it all comes down to accountability. We're in uh, day 253 of this war uh, in, in Europe. There's been no end state defined. We don't have a plan to end the war. We haven't talked about one. All we're doing is throwing money at it. We put $18 billion uh, into the war, economically, humanitarian aid and military aid. That's a big number, but let's break it down to an hourly rate. That means we're spending $2.5 million an hour in Ukraine. That's the U.S. taxpayers' money, again, with no accountability. You know, the Kiel Institute, uh, the Economic Institute, Kiel, Germany, did a survey, and you kind of just hit on it a minute ago. They looked at all the European countries, and we're paying double what all the other European countries are doing combined. And, and here's where I think the president needs to go, and, and the Republicans, if they take the Congress, need to go. They need to explain to the American people why we're doing this, why we're in Ukraine, should we be in Ukraine, and here's a desired end state. Uh, the, the Republicans are going to take the Congress. You know what, dude? <clears throat> Many of them were doing it, too. The Republicans were doing it, too. Now, to his credit, Donald Trump wanted to see, at least he outwardly showed it, he wanted to see that there was corruption gone before he released money into the Ukraine. Good for him. That's, you know, don't call me Trump deranged syndrome. Don't call me that stuff. I know I can see where there's good and where there's bad. 
But nevertheless, I ask you in Article 1 where we're to be sending our money to the Ukraine or any other nation for that matter. The people are okay with sending it to Israel. We're going to talk about Israel today. Um, you know, I ask, well, there are allies, Tim. Are they? Have you seen some of the reports we put out at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com? Have we not, have you not seen that? Ah, yeah, it's just silly. It's silly. Anyway, so what I want to do is briefly address a false church and tie it into a false Israel. One, and, and by the way, that that this billions and billions of dollars we're sending to Ukraine, that's another reason D.C. needs to be dissolved. It's worthless. It's not helping the people at all. It's harming you and I. And some people have in their minds this sentimentality of stars and stripes and all the stuff that goes with how they view America. And again, I'm not denying that we have a Christian foundation. That was established by our forefathers in the 14, 15, 1600s through the laws that we have, everything else that we have. Anybody who says we weren't a Christian nation is either a liar or they're ignorant. But we become, for the most part, apostate. Our lips are close to God, our hearts are far from Him. You know, we we played at the beginning, uh, at the pre-show... This old song, uh, you guys get old songs from me because that's all I know. I don't know a lot of the new songs. I know some of them, but I, I don't know a lot of the new songs. A heart to God and a hand to man. And based off of the, what the Salvation Army was originally intended. Is the Salvation Army really that now? Do they have the heart of those who, uh, William and Catherine Booth, who established it? No, they don't. Not even close. Not even close. And the, the Christian church, largely in America, is like that too. It has the cloak of Christ, but its hearts are far from him. So with that said, you know, we can go back in history and we can talk about the issue of Rome. We can talk about uh, the fact that uh, with Rome, you have an apostate church. You have a... A, a church that clearly identified itself in the 16th century against the reformers as being against the gospel that saves men from their sin. They use they use words here. I'm just going I'm not going to try to get too deep in this because I'm going to focus more on Israel today. But they they use words and we use them today, uh, theological terms called synergism and monergism. Okay, synergism and monergism. Now, mono meaning one, right? Uh, the 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 gener, jiz, uh, the the jism there. It comes to the issue of energy. So one energy works monergism. Synergism or energism uh, is the issue of energy, but it's it's coming together with with at least two parties working. So the Roman system is the one that teaches the free will of man. And by that, what I'm talking about, not is that man isn't presented with choices and not that man doesn't make choices, but his ability to do that which is pleasing unto God. Okay, so, so when I talk about free will, I'm talking about 
depraved, fallen man does not have the ability to save himself, to do what is right before God, pure and holy, as the Lord Jesus did. He doesn't have that ability. In the same manner that God does not have... God, How many of you would say God has free will? I would. He can do whatever he wants. But he's bound by his nature. And his nature is that he cannot sin. Okay, do you follow what I'm saying? He cannot sin, but he can do whatever he likes. Whatever he desires, he can do it. Man is somewhat the same way. He can do whatever he wants, but his nature is bound to sin. This is what it means for him to be a sinner. He is not he is a sinner because he that's his nature. That's what he does. And we are that from the womb. Our father Adam gave us that gift, if you want to call it that. That curse. And so what Rome said, and in response to the reformers, what, he, what they said, or what Rome said was, no, 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 you guys are heretics. You're saying that God does something to the sinner to make him righteous, and the sinner doesn't have to do anything. Well, that's true to a certain extent. The sinner has to believe, the sinner has to repent, the sinner has to have faith, but that comes as a result of the work of God in their hearts. It is the work of God. We've been down this road before in Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Jesus says a man has to be born again. How can a man be born again? And he starts talking about the work of the Spirit. It's not about what the man does. Read 1 John chapter 1. It's not about what man does. It's not what he wants. It's not his pedigree. It's not about what his will is. It's about the will of God. God was working in the heart of Moses, but he was not working in the heart of uh, Pharaoh except to harden it. God was showing grace to Moses. He was not showing it to Pharaoh. He was showing grace to Isaac. He did not show it to Ishmael. He was showing it to Jacob. He was not showing it to Esau. And God's free to do that because all of us, I think, can agree that men need what? We, We can't boast about anything, can we? And what do we deserve? If we're honest, what do we deserve? We deserve condemnation, which Jesus says we're already under. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Nevertheless, all men are condemned. They stand condemned. He came to save them from that condemnation. And Rome said, we'll have none of that. We'll have none of that. We got too much money tied up in this. We got too many uh, idols. We got too many relics. We got too many pilgrimages you have to take so that we can make money off of you. We've got too many souls in purgatory, which is not in the Bible, that, that we can make money off of, you know, getting people out of things here. We, we've got too much of that. We can't, we can't let that go. And so you guys are heretics. And the reformers stood, and I'm going to tell you what, it was that gospel, it was that gospel that broke the back of the tyranny, the religious tyranny. It was religious and civil because Rome controlled all the kings. Did it not? It broke the tyranny in Europe. You go, wait a minute. You're, you're saying that there was a religious aspect to the breaking of tyranny? Yes, because the tyranny was religious in nature as well. 
just like the tyranny here in the United States, is religious in nature as well. It's religious. It is the establishment of man's law, or pretended law, let's put it that way, against the law of God. You're either going to take the mark of the beast and obey the law of man, or you're going to receive the seal in your forehead by submitting yourself to God and keeping his commandments. Which one are you doing? Which one are you doing? In any case, that's the part of Rome. It is a false church. If you're in that church, I'm not here to attack you. I am here to attack that system. That system is a beast system. It does not have grace. It does not show mercy. I mean, it is the very essence of Antichrist. We've talked about that. Again, the shows we had with Johnny. Go back and see those. Uh, I'll try to link those up in the archive. We talked about that. The very title that the Pope carries is, it literally means Antichrist. Literally means that. In the place of and opposed to Christ. That's what that term means. In the place of, it can also mean opposed. That's That's just... Very clear. Go read your history. See some of these things that developed out of it. In fact, it came to the point where, uh, and I'm not going to get into a lot of theological terms, but I threw a couple out at you so that you can look at them if you're not interested, if you're not uh, familiar with them. I think there are things that you need to understand because they're concepts that we find in the Bible of what God does uh, to us. How He, we're gonna, In fact, we're going to touch on a couple of those things this morning. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're a false church. And they're deceiving billions of people. They're deceiving them. They're they're claiming they're in the place of Christ while providing a gospel that does not save people. It just doesn't do that. So, let's go back and let's see where this gospel first occurred. The gospel first occurred in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I didn't pull that up, but it just hit me because I, w- I went straight to Abraham here, or Abram. But the fact of the matter is, is the gospel occurred in the garden. Immediately after the fall, what did God do? Well, God came down and he pronounced a curse, right? Pronounced the curse on Adam because he had brought it on himself. Eve, she had brought it on herself. The serpent, he brought it on himself. And then he gave a a message of hope. The seed of the woman is going to crush your head, speaking to the serpent, and you'll bruise his heel. Did Jesus do that? Yep, he sure did. He crushed him. Colossians, I believe it's chapter 3, says he put the devils to an open spectacle on the cross, and he nailed those ordinances, all that stuff, Stuff that was caught up in the system of the Hebrews that was pictures and types of who Christ is and what he would do. He put it to an open spot. He nailed it to his cross, and it was paid for. It was done. Finished. Complete. The scales are balanced. The books are balanced. And those who are in Christ have their books balanced. There, 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 there is no... Looking forward to the wages of sin is death. I mean, as far as a a payment. Will we experience physical death? Yep, but it'll be just a transition just like that. 
going from one place to another. Jesus said himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. And the one that dies will live. He's very clear about that. So where do we see these promises? We, we, we see Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We see that laid out. And then we look over into uh, Genesis chapter 12. And it says, And the Lord had said unto Abraham, or Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now he's coming from Ur of the Chaldees. He's there in the Middle East, somewhere around where we know as Iran. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I want to stop right there because that's always quoted. I will make a great nation. I will bless thee uh, uh, the, the, that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. Who's he, talk, who's he talking to there? He's talking to Abram. He's talking to Abram, a particular individual that he's made a promise to that he will eventually make a covenant with. Okay? Keep that in mind because people want to say this about modern-day Israel and stuff, and it's just, it, it frustrates me. People do not look at the Scripture in context and understand what God has said, and they fall for the deception every time somebody utters something out of their mouth about Israel, about Quoting a scripture out of context. Who's the blessing to? Abraham. And to those who bless Abraham or Abram at that time. And who's the curses to? Those that curse Abram. Let's go back. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75, uh, 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. So he, he leaves out, he obeys God. Now, a little later on, Genesis chapter 17, here's what we read. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, so he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee. And thy seed after thee. Keep that in mind, that issue of seed, okay, because we're going to touch on that in just a minute, where he says, between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Now, I got people, 
you know, I, whether you're circumcised or not today doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. It's really a preference. I got people that pop into these chats sometimes, and, oh, that's mutilation. No, 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 no. There's a sign of a covenant. That's the old covenant. Or that was the, the Abrahamic covenant. It was part of the old covenant as well. When you go to the new covenant in the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 2, you'll see that baptism has replaced that, and that's why you can have women who have that. This, this Muslim thing of women's circumcision is foreign to Scripture. And it's foreign to Scripture because Islam is not an Abrahamic religion. It really isn't. And by the way, neither is Judaism. It is not an Abrahamic religion either. It is a Talmudic religion. It is a Babylonian religion. Jesus was addressing that when he said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Okay? Just, just so we're clear what he's addressing, he wasn't addressing that somehow they misinterpreted the Old Testament. They, they would use, borrow from the Old Testament. They largely held to the Talmud. This is why it is very dangerous when we point, you know, when we point out stuff like Trump's affiliation with the Kabbalah, his son-in-law and, and his daughter's ties with Habad Lubavik. This is why it's dangerous when we talk about the, the uh, Noahide laws. That is, a, that is bringing back in this stuff that they had that they were dealing with before. It is an antichrist religion. Both Judaism and Islam are anti-Christ. They can talk about how they believe in Jesus all they want. But they don't see him as the savior of the world. They don't see him as the God of creation who put on human flesh and came to live among men and give his life as a sacrifice for sinners. They don't see that. And John says if they don't see that, if they don't see that, that Christ has come in the flesh, that God has come in the flesh, well, they're anti-Christ. They're holding to doctrines that are not true. That are opposed to the Christ that they claim they might believe in. So he talks about the circumcision here. And then he comes in and he talks about doing it in the people of his house. And we know that Abraham had a lot of men in his house. We read about that when he went and took Lot. Uh, he, he came into Lot and uh, or Lot got taken by the kings. He got 318 trained men his militia within his own home, and they went and whooped the kings and they got his nephew back along with spoils. And God said unto Abraham, verse 15, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, be her, shall her name be, and I will bless her and give her thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? I mean, you can kind of understand that, right? You can understand that. Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. He didn't do that with Ishmael. He did it with Isaac and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I blessed him. 
I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. He doesn't have a covenant with Ishmael. He has it with Isaac. Which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time. And I can hear the free will people going, well, that's not fair. He should have given a covenant to, to Ishmael. He, you know, God's got to love everybody the same way. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And he doesn't do that. Neither do you, by the way. You're called to love your wife different than all other women in the world. You're called to love your, you're called to love your children in a manner, in a different way, than you are all of the other children of the world. You're called to love your enemies, but you love them different than your friends, don't you? Yeah, you do. But you want to tie God's hands and say, you have to love everybody the same way because I said so. No, he, no, that's not how it works. So he establishes it with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Um, and later on, we'll see what happens with Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, God said, you're righteous because you believe me. He didn't have any works to show at the time. He simply believed God. Now here he's kind of going, how is this possible? I'm 100 years old. How's that going on? But we're told that he believes God and it's accounted to him for righteousness. This is where the reformers picked up on. Wait a minute. Paul argues Abraham was made righteous by belief, believing Something going on internally. The mind and the heart. He believed God. James says that he was justified by what? His works, right? Let me tell you, this is exactly what Ephesians 2 talks about. We're going to get to that in just a second. This is exactly what it's talking about. When it says that we are saved by grace unto good works. The works follow those who have been saved by grace. In other words, if you're a believer and you don't have works that follow that, that demonstrate that you actually believe, you're not a believer. You're an unbeliever. And so this is exactly what happened with Abraham. Abraham not only believed, but he went through and he demonstrated it with works. How did he do that? Well, we see him take his son Isaac. Do we not? We see him take Isaac up on the mountain because God said, sacrifice your son. Isaac even willing to go. And as Abraham gets ready to do the deed, what happens? God provides a lamb, which is a great picture of Christ, the Lamb of God, who comes and becomes our substitute. He takes our place on the altar, and he has sacrificed himself. He is slain. And Isaac goes free. So keep that in mind as we go through here, because part of the covenant that, that God has given with Abraham, in fact, we'll go a little further. I'm not going to hit it today because I want to get in, into some of the New Testament things to show you the reality of what's going on. <clears throat> but what he does is God sets and makes the covenant with Abraham. Usually the two parties would cut an animal in half. And a covenant means a passing between flesh. That's what it means. Okay. They would take an animal and they would split it and the two parties of the covenant would walk between those pieces of flesh before God. And that was their covenant. God was going to watch over both of them to make sure that they kept the covenant. Okay? And when you look at what happened, 
there were a number of animals that were done. And then the Bible says Abraham was waiting and God caused a great sleep to fall upon him. And then God himself walked between the pieces of flesh. In other words, God was the one who was going to be the covenant upholder. It wasn't two parties, it was one. In fact, you could say it was two parties. You could say it was the Father and the Son who walked between the midst of that, and they were going to keep that covenant. Why? They had already made the, God, the Father had already made the promise to the Son in eternity past. He'd already done that before the worlds were made. He'd made a covenant with him to save a people unto himself. So Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and what did they do? Well, they took it upon themselves. And you see some of this in some of the language of the New Testament when you see uh, them looking at, oh, look at me. You know, he talk, Jesus talks about the publican and the, the Pharisee within the temple. And the Pharisee's going, oh, God, aren't you glad you got a guy like me down here? I mean, don't you love me? I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm just a great guy. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I know you're happy to have me. And the publican's over there beating his breast in the corner of the temple going, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was that guy, the guy who was humbled, who went down to his house justified or righteous, made righteous. Yep, it was him, not the Pharisee. And he, he illustrates that again in the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the, the Levite and the priest walk by, the guy who's their own countryman, and they won't even, they won't even touch him to help him. I gotta go serve God. I gotta go get down there and do what I my churchy stuff. And it's the mortal enemy, it's the Samaritan who comes by and has compassion on the Jewish guy, takes care of his wounds, takes him in to the end, pays for it, is willing to pay more if that's what's needed, because he has compassion, he has love for for his enemy, if you will. So there's a picture of that that goes on. But in the Old Testament, here's what we're told. This comes from Isaiah 49, 6. And here's the context, beginning verse 3. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to, whom, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. This is a talk about what Christ is going to do. 
He's going to, the Israel here is going to be a light to the Gentiles outside that nation of Israel at that time. Is that not what Jesus said they should do? Hey, you begin here in Jerusalem, you move to Judea, Samaria, it's outside of Israel, and to the utter parts of the earth, right? That's exactly what he said they were going to do. A light to the Gentiles. And by the way, when you go to the New Testament, and we'll just touch on this just a little bit, Acts chapter 7, you see this journey. You, you recall Stephen. Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, and he's recounting their own history. He talks about Abraham coming out of the land of the Chaldeans. Um, all these things that had taken place, he recounts Isaac. He recounts Jacob. He's doing all of these kinds of things. And he comes down in, in verse uh, 11. Now there came a, a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. Our fathers found no substance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. And Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And they sent Joseph, called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. They go down to Egypt. You know the story that transpired there. And then we come on down to verse 20. I'm skipping some things, but I'm trying to stay in the context. He's just recounting their history. He talks about Moses being born. He was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house. Moses learned the wisdom of the Egyptians. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, and he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. We see all that. And then what happened? Well, Moses was raised up, right? He was raised up to deliver the people. And it's interesting because Stephen mentions here in the text, um, and I thought I had this pulled up, sorry. Look at what he says here in verse 38. I should have had that pulled up anyway. Whoa. Whoa. Sorry about that, guys. Here's what he has in, in verse 38. Or actually, let's go back to 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear. This is he that was in the church. Now, again, I think had the New Testament translators translated this word ecclesia, which is, we know it as the word church, if they'd have just translated this as assembly, there wouldn't be this, this, uh, this um, confusion that's going on. This is, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Now he's talking about Old Testament, after they came out of Egypt. With the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. He's talking about the Old Testament had a church. Now, many people don't know that. They've been in church all their life, and they think the church and Israel are two separate things, and they're not. They're not. And no, I'm not giving replacement theology. Here's what I'm giving. I'm giving fulfillment theology. 
The church was the Israel of the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, that little geopolitical structure that was established expands throughout the world. It encompasses Gentiles. This is how they're to be a light unto the Gentiles. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, everybody focuses on, you know, the first parts there. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works, lest you should boast, and all this kind of stuff. And then we pick up in verse 10. It says, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then most people leave this off. This is vital to understanding the work of Christ. Listen. How many of you have preachers, pastors out there, who point to people like John Hagee out there in Texas? Uh, by the way, an unrepentant adulterer, the lady who's his wife now was his secretary previously, and he was cheating with on his, on his wife. John Hagee says there's no need to evangelize Jews because they have their own covenant with God. And yet, he's promoted as this great preacher and stuff. He is a false teacher. He's a heretic. He doesn't hold to the true gospel. He doesn't even have his Israelology right. And here, what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing an expansion of Israel. Not a replacement, an expansion of it. All right? Look at what he says. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Now, notice he says Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. That was the promise. I mean, we just, we just read that, the promise that God gave to Abraham. We're going to look at that a little more here in just a second. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were far off. You weren't a part of, of the temple worship here. Or if you were, it's out on the outside of it. You, you, you weren't brought near. You weren't people who are part of the covenant. You weren't circumcised in your flesh. You're Gentiles in your flesh. You're uncircumcised. And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both, both what? Both the Jew and the Gentile, one He's made them one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, I got somebody who wrote me in, the, in, the, in one of the chats on Telegram. I just happened to see it this morning. I don't know. How, it may have been a couple of days ago they wrote. But I was responding to somebody who was fighting this, fighting what the Scripture says. And they said, oh, yeah, well, one day he'll make us one. No, friends, he made us one at the cross. Anybody pay attention to what he said there? There is no Jew or Gentile. That God's not looking at your pedigree. By the way, a Jew is not necessarily somebody who comes from a physical line. Go back and look. Oh, Tim, you're, you're, that's not true. 
Go back and read where Joseph calls Jacob down with his sons and his servants. All his servants weren't of the same line. They didn't come from his body. There were a ton of people within the Old Testament who were not from the lineage of Abraham who were part of Israel. Lots of them. They were Gentiles, but they had come in and they said, like uh, Ruth, a Moabitess, you're going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. That was assimilation, if you will. I'm going to submit here to the God of Israel. There were lots of people who came in like that. And then this is what he says. Paul writes, he says, having abolished, he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Well, how did he do that? Having abolished in his flesh, that's Christ's flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, those are all those you know, work stuff that was, that was going on in the law, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both the Jew and the Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. He preached the same message of peace to the Jew and to the Greek, as Paul would say. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. For through him we have both access by one spirit into the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers than foreigners. Remember, he's talking to the Ephesians here. You're not strangers and foreigners anymore, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't care if you call yourself a if you say you got Jewish heritage. I don't care if you say you're, you got Gentile heritage. None of that matters. Have you been made right here? Have you been brought together to be a fellow citizen with the saints? Are you in the household of God? If you're in Christ, you have. That's the thing. This Jew and Gentile stuff is out the window. And then he goes on and he says this, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. There is one new man. He's not divided, and he's not going to be divided. The people of God are one. Now, what's interesting is, as you go through the New Testament, and I didn't pull up all the places for this, but as you go through the New Testament, what you'll see is the church is referred to in terms like Israel was for the chosen. Those who are a royal priesthood. In fact, there are certain passages where uh, Paul will reference them as the Israel of God. Genesis, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 6. He'll say you're, you're his people. I mean, these are terms that were used in the Old Testament for the, nation, the geopolitical nation of Israel. Now they're applied to the church. Why is this so important, Tim? Why are you on this thing? Because I believe the American church has been hamstrung because they've misunderstood Israel, and they think it's some antichrist state out there, post-stamp piece of land in Israel. 
That's what they think it is. And so they want to support them. They want to take the passage that we read about Abram being blessed and and those who curse him, curse him. And they want to apply it to that. And they want to see, see what's happening. And I got to tell you, I think Chuck Baldwin's right on his uh, his message about blessing Israel. Well, what's what's been the result of doing that over the past how many years? 80 years almost of blessing Israel. Do, do we see the blessing of God in our country over that? No, we see curses. We see his curses coming on us. And that kind of bad teaching in the church moved its way into politics. And so, yes, theology does matter, guys. I just want you to understand that. Your theology has an impact on your political structure, your societal structure. It really does. And if you think Israel, the nation Israel today, is your friend, you really need to back up and do some homework. And there's a lot of it at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, by the way. A lot of it where they're involved in our elections. You don't like Russia being involved in it? Well, you've got Israel involved in them. Oh, but they're our friends. No, they're not. No, they're not. They want to manipulate our politics so they can protect themselves. And to feed off of what we just read there in Ephesians, listen to what Paul says. Two little quick passages. And you can check out the context because I'm going to try to get this and then we're going to carry over just a little bit. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and also uh, uh, BeforeIt'sNews.com or any of the other places. If you want to finish up with us, uh, you can do that. Romans 9, 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. See, just because you were in Israel and just because you might have been an Israelite didn't mean you were a part of Israel. Does that sound confusing? Doesn't mean you were part of the elect. You might have been in the covenant community. Doesn't mean you're part of the elect. Okay? Check this one out. Romans 2, 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. This is exactly what Jesus referenced to the, the Pharisees of the day when he says, you're of your father today. Abraham's not your father. You might be circumcised. That means nothing. you got to have the circumcision of the heart. And only the Spirit of God can bring that about. Only he can do that. So with that said, I'm going to kind of take a little break here. And then what I want to do is when we pick up on the other side is I want to go over here to Galatians. We went through this before, but Galatians is key to understanding exactly what, what I'm talking about. I mean, it really is key to that. So Bradley be with you at 3, and uh, we'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Lord willing, talk to you then. See you. And I think we ran a little over because I was having a prop, uh, problem with uh, kicking off the start music. So forgive me for that. Welcome, everybody, who's coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And let's just jump right into this because I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I know sometimes the longer somebody goes on, the less people want to listen. And that's fine. But uh, I understand those kinds of things. But here it is. This is out of Galatians, and we're going to begin in chapter 2. And let me see if we can... Uh, I am in the right place. Yeah, I am in the right place. Okay. Notice what he notice what he starts at here. He says, and believe, remember the the Galatians 
have had a, a false gospel that spread to them. He's addressed this in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 here. And he says, if somebody gives a gospel that I haven't preached, let them be a curse. Let them be anathema. Let them be damned. So if you, if you, if you, um, if you take that and you, you can see it, not only the person who's preaching it is damned, but they're preaching a damnable gospel. So those who hear it and believe it, it's a problem for them. And this is why Paul would say, who's bewitched you that you think what was begun in the Spirit is now going to be completed in the flesh? So he comes up and he says this. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, remember Peter was uh, eating with the Gentiles at the time, okay? They're in this transition period. He's eating with the Gentiles, and when the Jews show up, he goes, he gets away from them and he starts eating with the Jews. And Paul sees his hypocrisy, and he says unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? That's something to consider for some of these people uh, who want to go back to this Messianic Jewish stuff. Not Sorry. Christ is the fulfillment of all that stuff. He's the fulfillment of it. Okay? And so he says, um, who, we, verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of, by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if we, while we still, excuse me, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid, no, no. That's not the case at all. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. In other words, he says, if you're going to go back to the law, if you're going to seek that as your justification, well, you're transgressing the law. And you know you're transgressing the law. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I live, or yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That's right. If you're trying to hold up the standard of the law by which you will be redeemed, by which you'll be saved from your sin, you're just piling up more judgment on yourself. That's what he's saying. You're either trusting in Christ or you're not. Okay? And then here he says it. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, by the hearing of faith. He says this is the reason for a preacher. People have to hear the gospel. And they can't hear it unless a preacher goes, right? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now perf made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? And then he gets into Abraham. 
And this is where it gets very interesting for those who want to divide the church between Gentiles and Israel or Jews, where they want to see this modern state of Israel as somehow biblically prophetic. It's not. And he says this, Know you therefore that that which that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of Abraham, which makes you what? Mm -hmm. It makes you Israel. That's exactly what it makes you. Even the, pe the, the, even the people who buy into this distortion about modern-day Israel and stuff, they would say, if you're a child of Abraham... Some of them would go, oh, well, not Abraham, it would be Abraham and Isaac. And some of them would go, no, 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 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then some of them would go, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And it's like, really, guys? The promise was made to Abraham. Was it not? Did we not just read that in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17? Yes, we did. The promise was to Abraham. And this is going to be Paul's point in here. So keep that in mind. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Remember he said, God said, I'm going to make you a blessing unto the nations. Hmm. Those Gentile nations. In fact, let me point this out to you. Abraham wasn't called a Jew. Neither was Isaac. Nor Jacob. Nor Joseph. None of those were called Jews, by the way. Just so you understand. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And what's, what's that blessing? Well, it's redemption. But again, it's what we just read in Ephesians 2. It's bringing us into one body, one new man in Christ. The blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth to it thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed, remember I said keep an eye on that word seed there, were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. The promises were made to Abraham and to Christ. Remember what I said before? The God who cannot lie, Titus uh, tells us, who promised before time began. What did he promise and who did he promise to? Well, he promised a kingdom and a people unto the Son. Before anybody was made, before anything was spoken into existence, God promised Christ, His Son, an inheritance of all things. And that includes a people that He would save unto Himself. Okay? And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after 
So the, the law came 430 years after the promise that we saw in Genesis to Abram. Okay? It cannot disannul that that old covenant with the law cannot disannul the covenant made with Abraham. That it should make the promise of no effect. No, no, no. See, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant is gone, done away with in Christ. This is the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It is God's way of saying, I'm not pleased with that stuff. That stuff was pictures, and I'm trying to get you guys to see what I was bringing, and you would have none of it, so I'm doing away with the whole thing, and only Christ remains. And yet, what do we see today? We see people caught up in this thing about red heifers and utensils in a temple and priests and all this. and one to be, Christians, excited about that. And you go, that is an abomination before God. That is, the, that is in, in essence, the synagogue of Satan. Read about it in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That is Jews who say they are Jews, but they are not. They're not. They're of their, their father, the devil. So that's what, that, that's what that's about. For if the inheritance by, uh, be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? I mean, what's the point of the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, that's Christ, should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Right? I mean, that makes sense. If you keep the law, you should receive all the blessings of that, right? But he's saying, no, no, that's not the case. The law showed us our sin. We showed, it showed us how much we were sinning. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, you guys know what... Schoolmaster is, right? It's the person who's in charge of you when you're little. They make sure you're doing everything, and they smack your hand, or they smack your behind, or whatever, if you get out of line, and they correct you, and they're always just harsh, really harsh with you. That's what the law does. It weighs on men. It presses on them judgment. It presses on them their lawlessness. To show it to them. To make them look for a remedy to get out from under it. Bradley had a great illustration the other day with the iron cage. The law puts you in a cage, locks the lock, throws away the key, and the only person who can open it is not you and your will, it's Christ. There's a great illustration. So he says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. 
For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. Now, well, Tim, obviously there's male and female, unless you buy into what the stuff they're saying today. Well, I don't buy into what they're saying today. But the fact of the matter is, before God, he's been talking about this. He's talking about Jews. He's talking about Gentiles. And he says, guys, you've come into this one new man. You're no longer two different people. You're one new man. One new man. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, verse 28. And if you be Christ, then are ye... What does that say? What, what, what is that? If you be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, if you're Abraham's seed, what does that make you? It makes you an Israelite, does it not? It makes you a part of the true Israel, or the church as we term it in the New Testament, the assembly of the people of God. Does it not make you that? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. In fact, he'll continue on, and this is the last chapter we'll be in uh, here in verse 4 of Galatians. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. See, he didn't, God did not send an angel to redeem men. He took on human flesh and became a man himself. Men can save men. They can intercede for men. This was the whole idea of the priesthood. Again, God didn't send an angel down to be an intercessor for men. He had men be intercessors for men. The priests were men. And Jesus had to become a man. The Son of God had to become a man in order that, he, one, he'd be a proper substitute for men, and two, that he would be a great high priest or an intercessor for men. Okay? So he goes on from here, and he sends him under the law. Jesus never did, Jesus never took and obliterated the law. He didn't violate the law. He upheld the law at every point. And so he came to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Any of you guys ever seen the film um, uh, Ben-Hur, old Charlton Heston film? And you see there the, the character played by, by Heston is this, he's this slave, and he's one of these guys, you know, that, that scene where this was when they really did, you know, they got a lot of people involved, like the Ten Commandments stuff. They had, you know, hundreds and thousands of people involved in it. It wasn't a lot of CGI and stuff like that. They had some kind of cheesy backgrounds at times and stuff. But they were in there rowing, right? And the ship that they're on gets hit 
and there's this Roman general who's on board, and Heston's character saves him uh, from from death, and they get back, and this general adopts him. As, as a grown man, he adopts him into his family, makes him a part. I mean, boy, you see the picture of the prodigal son kind of going on here uh, in what he does. Puts a ring on his hand, does it before everybody, proclaims him his son, his heir, all these kinds of things. That's what God did for us. He put a robe on us. The robe is the righteousness of Christ. He gave us a ring. He gave us a new name. He gave us uh, shoes for our feet. He prepared a banquet for us, the, the wedding uh, feast of the Lamb. He has done all of these things, and all that is Christ is ours. We are heirs with Christ and joint, or we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ of all things. All things. That's what we have coming to us. And we have it not because we're such lovable creatures. No, no, we're wicked people. We were, we were in rebellion against God. And yet God said, I'm going to set my love upon you, and I'm going to take that heart of stone out. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And that's what he did for many of these Galatians here. But some of them were being deceived. And so Paul loved them enough to say, wait a minute, guys, you're being deceived here. we got to correct this. And so he says this, and because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, we, I, I don't, and I tell my kids, when, you, when we pray, we call God our Father. We have that intimacy with Him to where we can refer to Him, you know, in the vernacular, Daddy. We, we can call Him our Father. He has adopted us, just like my father adopted me. I call him daddy. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He's warning them, listen carefully, he's warning them of the same warnings the writer of Hebrews gave them. Going, apostatizing, turning from Christ, turning from the work of Christ, and going back to these beggarly, weak and beggarly elements he's talking about. Going back to the old covenant system. Do you see the weakness of a lot of the modern church today? They want to go back to the weak and beggarly elements. Temple. Utensils. Red heifers. Priesthood. We want to see all that. Because they think it's a sign of Jesus coming. But the fact of the matter is, it is an abomination before the Lord. And God ended it for a reason. It was to show the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That he was a fulfillment of all those things. Going back, you observe days and months and times and years. You're all about the holidays, the holy days. That's how it should be said. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you, uh, upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. 
Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. And I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Is that what's going on? No. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not hear it? The law is an echo of horror, of damnation. It is telling you, you are judged before a holy and a righteous God. This is where, um, of course, the passage was out of Deuteronomy. This is where that great sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, came from. Men stand before he is angry with the wicked every day, the Scripture says. And they think that they're going to carry on in their wickedness. And Edwards had that tremendous picture of hanging by a spider web, and you don't know when when God's going to come along and just clip that thing, and you're going to fall into hell. You're going to fall under his wrath. But he says this, It is written, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So the first one there is Ishmael, the second one is Isaac. Which things are an allegory? And he tells you that. They're an allegory. They're a picture of what he's talking about. For these are the two covenants. The one from Sinai, from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. This is the old covenant. And then the new covenant is the other. For this, Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and entereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Not Rome, as we were talking about before. Remember, Rome says, oh, you, there's no salvation outside the church, outside that apostate church. Nope. There's no salvation outside the Jerusalem that is above, which is Christ, the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren, thou bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. See that? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a child of promise. Because you're in the Lord Jesus, whom the promise was made to. We just saw that above as well. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. So what was happening? Well, remember Ishmael was na-na-na-na-na and giving all kinds of grief to Isaac. Now we get persecuted. Those who are believers in Christ, we receive persecution. Paul says so. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? 
cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. But of the free. And again, you know, Paul continues on about circumcision, uncircumcision, these kinds of things. Uh, he talks about leaving off the immoral stuff. He talks about um, uh, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These comes, This comes from chapter 5, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings and such like of which I tell you before as I have told you in the past that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you doing those things? I don't care if you call yourself a Christian you say you have faith. Are you doing those things? If you do, you have no part in the inheritances of, of the kingdom of God. Don't let yourself be deceived. Well, Tim, you just said it wasn't a works. I said salvation is not a work. I didn't say salvation didn't produce good works. Obviously, Ephesians 2 says that we're to walk in good works as Christ has foreordained that we do. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no what? Law. Why? Because love, the first one listed there, is the fulfillment of the law. Real love. If you love, you don't kill your neighbor, right? You don't steal from your neighbor. You don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You don't covet things. You don't bear false witness against your neighbor. You seek to honor God as God. You don't make graven images. You don't take his name in vain. You remember one day in seven that you rest... And the other days you do your work as unto the Lord. All of these things are here. So you say, why did we go through all of this? Well, one is to give you the gospel message, and I hope you got it in the midst of it. Christ has come to, to, to save sinners, people who violated the law, the moral law of God. He came to save them. And he commands, he's a king, he commands, he doesn't ask you, he commands, for you to repent. To be reconciled back into God through the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus isn't dead. He was, but He's alive forevermore. And He sits upon the throne. And He is going to be our judge. You see these, these celebrities go, only God can judge me. Yep, you're right. Judiciously, other people can judge you on, on your morals, but the fact of the matter is, God is going to judge you. Question is, are you doing these things that, that Paul just laid out here? You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You should expect a fearful, you should be uh, having a fearful expectation of judgment. But for those who see their sin, the command to you is very simple repent, turn from what you're doing, and turn unto Christ. As I've said before, if you really want mercy from God, you can have it. But you got to have it on his terms. They aren't mine. I didn't write them up. They were here long before I was here. They'll be long they'll be here long after I'm gone. But you can know him. You can know the God who made you. But you have to do it on his terms. And that's through the promised seed, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep that in mind, because what we learn here, even about Israel, has an impact on our society, on our politics. If you can't see that and what I said here, I don't, I don't really know how to help you. Because if you're looking at a postage stamp piece of land, a geopolitical thing, structure there that is antichrist at the core, and if you don't believe me, go pull up the pictures of the Israeli Supreme Court. And you'll see, it's antichrist to the core. And when we speak about the false church, Rome, go pull up the junk that they put out. Oh my goodness, Diana and D-Live, she mentioned um, something the other day about the uh, the Virgin Mary. It's not really the Virgin Mary. That's what they call her. But Mary's not a virgin, by the way. Go read Matthew chapter 1. It's pretty clear. Joseph didn't know her until after Jesus was born. And then he knew her because there were other children that were born to them. And you only get that if you lose your virginity, right? <laughs> or you give it away. I shouldn't say lose it. You give away your virginity. But they're, just look it up. Look up Virgin Mary and female genitalia. And, I, because I'm not going to show it here. But you'll see. You'll see exactly what they do. And it it's almost, I, I was kind of startled. I, I'm usually not over stuff like that. But I was kind of startled at how brazen and blatant it was right in plain sight. I never thought anything about it. Because, well, I didn't give much attention to Images of Mary. But you look at the things Rome has done. You look at the things Israel has done. You look at what they prop up as being good and righteous. And it's anything but that. It's anything but that. God calls us to repentance. He calls us to follow after him. To be a part of his church. To be a part of the real Israel. The true Israel. To be the true Jews who have been circumcised of the heart. That's what he calls us to. And if you find this offensive, then quit being offended and submit yourself to the king. Submit yourself to King Jesus. He will save you. He will change your life. Give you new thoughts and new desires. Things that you know not now. I pray God will grant that to you. Guys, thank you for hanging with me a little over today. I appreciate that. Sometimes I get a little long-winded when we get on these things, but thank you for hanging on with me. Bradley, be with you at 3, and we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See you.